Hello, ladies and gentlemen, or as the character in this week's reading selection might say, Ahlen, Ahlen Blika. That means hello and welcome. You're listening to From the Top. My name is Jake Lewis. On this podcast, or bookcast, call it whatever you like, as long as you don't call it late for dinner. I read to you the first chapter. I know that didn't make any sense. I read to you the first chapter of a YA, young adult, or middle grade novel in the hopes that you like it so much because I'm just such a fantastic reader. No, that the book is so great in its first chapter that you run out, really, like you, as soon as this podcast is over, go out and get one from your local bookstore, independent bookstore, preferably, or library. If you don't have one of those nearby, as long as you're buying a book from Amazon or Barnes & Noble, that's fine. But of course, try the first two first. That you like it so much, you go get the book. That's what I'm trying to say. You're listening to From the Top. Without any further ado, let's get into this week's book called Shad Hadid and the Alchemists of Alexandria by George Gerage. Before we get into this week's chapter, let's go to the mailbag. It's been a few weeks since we've gotten a listener email, so I'm very happy that one decided to come into my inbox, and it is from Dave. Dave writes, Dear Jake, how come you don't have more authors on your show? You have had a couple on in the past, and I greatly enjoyed listening to them talk to you. You should invite more authors on. Sincerely, Dave. Thanks, Dave. I totally agree. And Dave, your email has been read on a very special day, one I think you will like, because at the end of this week's program, I will have the author of this week's selection on to talk about the book that you will hear in just a few moments. That is one George Jereji with Shad Hadid and the Alchemists of Alexandria. So uh, stay tuned. But if you are an author, Dave, or anyone else out there who is an author, has written something, published something that you would like me to share with the audience and chat with you about, please do get in touch with me or anyone can really email me, even if you have a question, a comment, a request for a book. And everybody can do that at fromthetopbookcast at gmail.com. There's nothing I hate more than an empty inbox. So please do get in touch. I'll look forward to hearing from you. That's this week's email listener bag. That's my bag, baby. And our next segment... We have a reading reflection where I look back on last week's book with any new insight or thoughts that I have had in the eh, week approximately since I last shared them with you. So let's do it. All right. So you might remember last week's book. It was called The Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Booley. And you might have just heard about this book anyway, because it is gathering or has gathered all sorts of buzz. I mean, it was a Reese Witherspoon book club book. So, you know, that alone, she's like Oprah now with books. She actually picks pretty good books. I have to give it to Reese that, uh, you know, I haven't read all of the books in her book club. Um, nor have I liked all of them that I have read, but they are, on the whole, pretty decent books. And this is kind of an offshoot, by the way, not only of this reading reflection, but of uh, Reese's Book Club. She now has a Reese's YA book club. So if uh, a parent out there is a fan of Reese's Book Club, she now has one for 
younger folks like this one, the Firekeeper's Daughter. So when I uh, do some reading, usually after I read a book, I like to uh, read reviews or a literary criticism, which despite the name criticism doesn't mean they're actually criticizing it in a negative way. Sometimes it does, but it really just means reviews or commentaries. And so when I finished uh, the reading last week, I just Googled uh, some reviews and, uh, you know, feedback on Firekeeper's Daughter. And I came across an article that I thought was uh, super interesting because without giving away any spoilers, uh, I think this is even on the back of the book where it kind of gives you uh, a summary of the story that in the first chapter I had said last week, I really have no idea where this is going because in the first chapter, we think the main problem of the book is going to be that Donis, the main character, is going to bump into some issue deciding not to go to the University of Michigan. She's all nervous about it and that she wants to stay closer to home. Uh, and it turns out that it's a non-starter, that uh, it's not really an issue. It's actually a good thing for her. And so I said, so what's this book going to be about? We had had a little bit of a suggestion about maybe some suspense or thrills because in the prologue, she's uh, being having a gun aimed at her that we think might go off. And so according to this review, uh, and this is from NPR, by the way, which is a uh, pretty, you know, a reliable source. The rest of the book is completely unexpected based upon that first chapter. Now, again, the summary on the back of the book or the inside jacket, whichever version of the book you have, uh, it does hint uh, a little bit at this, but it looks like there is quite a, a tragedy, perhaps even uh, a murder an FBI investigation, and some uh, hallucinogenic form of meth. So as I said, when I was first starting to read the book last week, certainly not for young, young readers. Uh, it's just probably, as I said, for the upper middle school, if not even high school. So consider this, you know, another uh, content advisory. I'm definitely not the kind of person to talk about banning books or, or limiting books. If somebody wants to read it, I, I like to say that if a reader thinks they're mature enough to read it, let them read it. And if they read it and they think, oh, can't handle this, then they're allowed to put it away. But um, <clears throat> I was very surprised at where the rest of this book goes. But on the other hand, that has intrigued me to read it more. My Jayco meter score last week was on the lower side because I just kind of felt like this book isn't going to really do anything interesting. And according to this review, it sure does. Uh, so that is this week's reading reflection for the Firekeeper's Daughter. And here it is, your favorite part of the show, my favorite part of the show. It's called Attack of the Blurb. In the Attack of the Blurb, I read to you just a few key words or phrases from the book's blurb, the book that we are going to be reading for you this week. Because you know what, young people, they have a short attention span. I have a short attention span. So sometimes reading a whole summary of a book on the inside jacket or the back cover, someone's worked very hard at that. I will give them that. But if we can narrow it down to just a few words, maybe that will grab their fancy and even give them a little bit of a huh moment to try to figure out how it all pieces together. So for this week's book called Shad Hadid, in the Alchemists of Alexandria by George Gerage. Here is the attack of the blurb. Cooking. Teta. Arabic. Shadowy monster. Charm. Elixirs. Mists. Alchemists. And sinister 
evil. Hey, if that doesn't pull you in, nothing will. That was this week's Attack of the Blurb. And now, Chapter 1 of Shad Hadid and the Alchemists of Alexandria by George Jarage. And that is spelled J-R-E-I-J-E. I just got a comment before we start that the artwork on this book cover uh, is amazing. Uh, I wish you could see it. You probably can see a little bit of it if you uh, are listening on a podcast platform that shows like a little thumbnail of it, but it doesn't do that justice. This is the kind of book where you need a physical copy of it just because it looks so darn good. So uh, I wish I could tell you who the artist was. Um, if I looked hard enough, I could probably find the artist's name, but uh, it's great work. Chapter one. There was no such thing as magic. But if there was, it would be the cakes on display through the bakery window. Freshly baked Namora cakes, to be exact. Soft on the inside, crisp on the outside, and sugary sweet all over. I know, I know. It's only been a minute and 18 seconds since I started, even less of the actual book. That was only three sentences. But I just got to pause here because, first of all, I apologize if I pronounce any of these Lebanese words incorrectly. I'm sure George will understand and forgive me. But right away, I don't know what this food is, but gosh almighty, it makes me want to eat it. So bravo, George, because I am interested in having this Nomura cake just from your description, sight unseen. I mean, listen to this. It is soft on the inside, crisp and sugary. You sold me. A rose water scent wafted from an open window and I sidestepped over to ogle a tray of baklava. Lucky for me, the only Arabic bakery in Maine, Halwa Heaven, was just a block from Portland Middle School. My last class had finally gotten out, and holy cannoli, was I glad to be done with pre-algebra. I leaned in closer, licking my lips. Inside, rows and rows of pastries were stacked on top of each other, all fresh and ready to be eaten. I needed a taste. Something brushed against my shoulder, and I sprang around, suddenly aware of the drool rolling down my chin. I quickly wiped my mouth with the back of my hand. It was an old lady holding a cane. Sorry, young man, she said, offering a wrinkly smile and reaching for the door handle. I hurried forward to help her. I held the door open long enough for her to get inside, and just when I was ready to close it behind her, the baker appeared. Clad in a white jacket with his belly falling over an apron, he shot me a disapproving stare. I was jealous of that belly. Sure, I had some pudge, but nothing like his. One day, I'd eat enough sweets to earn a sumo stomach, too. I like this Shad character. I'm guessing that is who is narrating this story in first person because of the name of the book. We haven't been told that right out, but I'm going to make an inference here. And I already like him for several reasons. One of them is he's funny. He says, holy cannoli. By the way, I love cannolis too. I don't think those are Lebanese foods uh, like the other ones he's mentioned, but you know, they're still good. Good food is good food. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and he says, holy cannoli, was I glad to be done with pre-algebra. I feel your pain, Shad. I was never a math kid. I'm English and languages and the arts. So I, I read you loud and clear there. Literally read you. And he holds a door open for an older lady who bumps into him. But the thing I like the most about this is he sees the baker with his belly hanging over his apron. And Shad wants a belly like that. 
you so often see, unfortunately, in stories and TV shows and movies that we need to look a certain way to be accepted, to be liked. In other words, we need to be thin and in good shape and beautiful, but beautiful by the stereotypical uh, definition that is like a movie star. But Shad here, he wants that belly because maybe it shows that, uh, you know, how much he loves food and he does love food. There's nothing wrong with that. I love food. It also reminds me of uh, a musical called Fiddler on the Roof, if you're familiar with that one. You don't have to be, but in an early song called If I Were a Rich Man, the character says that if he were rich, his wife would have a proper double chin. And I kind of see it as the same thing because in Fiddler on the Roof, it means that if you have a proper double chin, that you have been able to eat as much food as you want because you're not poor. You're not starving and, and hungry. And so I'm not sure what Shad's uh, economic situation is like. Maybe that has some bearing on it. Maybe not. But that is a text connection that I made. And it just lets me, again, uh, think about how much I like this kid. He doesn't feel like he needs to look like everyone else. You go, boy. <laughs> One day, I'd eat enough sweets to earn a sumo stomach, too. How many times must I tell you not to stand outside my bakery? He asked, emphasizing his K's in a thick accent. My teta did the same thing. Unlike her, though, the baker curled his lips into a deep frown and said, You are bad for business. I ignored him, like I always did, and stepped back over to the open window, continuing to stare inside. The baker's assistants hurried back and forth, helping the woman and the other customers with their orders of mouth-watering baklava, crispy nafe, and everything in between. I remembered my family shop in Lebanon, all the customers asking for help in Arabic, and my baba's hospitality how he would welcome all types of people, if only for a sip of tea, to warm the belly. It sure used to warm mine. Watching the happenings in the bakery felt like stepping into a time machine, except with loads of sugar. But just as the heavenly smell of pies began to drift out, the baker slammed the window shut in my face. I stuck my tongue out. One day, my bakery would be right next to his only bigger, with ten times the sweets. Closing my eyes, I pictured the baker's white hat atop my curly black hair, his spotless jacket buttoned up to my neck. The only problem with my plan was that I had no money and still lived with my grandmother. She only spoke a little English and liked it when I called her Teta instead of Grandma. Teta was too old to teach me about recipes and ingredients from Baba's shop. She was too old for a lot of things. Figs! I need to cook dinner, I said, realizing that Teta would be waiting on me. Oh, I'm such a bale. So we have a few more words here that I apologize if I mispronounced Teta is uh, what I was saying, T-E-T-A, and uh, we read that uh, his Teta also scolds Shad for standing outside the bakery. Uh, so Teta, if that's how you say it, that's his grandma, it seems, does not like the idea that Shad wants to run a bakery or maybe that he wants to look like the baker with, uh, you know, a big tummy. But Shad ignores him. Again, another reason why I like Shad, ignoring an annoying and rude adult. Good for him. And he doesn't really leave, does he? He just kind of moves off to the side. So it's maybe a compromise, right? And it doesn't seem like the bakery is doing, you know, worse business with Shad outside, they even say that it's busy inside with the assistants all running about. So you know what, Baker? Chill. Okay. And uh, we also learned that he came from Lebanon, if we didn't already know that. He remembers his family shops and how the memory 
used to be a is a warming memory for him. Not only does the tea warm him, but thinking of that memory warms him. But now he's in Maine. I've never been to Lebanon, but I've been to Maine. And I would assume that Maine is a far cry from Lebanon. So there's some sadness to go along with that, that he's not in his uh, birthplace or the place where he has these uh, fond memories and where it seems that people might be a little bit nicer, too. Uh, so he sticks his tongue out at a boy. This guy's got moxie. I'll give him that. We learn that he has curly black hair. He's envisioning himself owning a bakery called Halwa Heaven. Great name. I love alliteration. And oops, he forgets that he has to get home and cook dinner for his grandmother. His grandmother's too old to cook for herself, it seems. So he gives a great expression here. He says, figs, I need to cook dinner. Uh, as though he wants to say, shoot, or perhaps something a little bit more inappropriate than we would read in a young adult book. So figs, he's such a bahle, B-A-H-L-E. Hope I'm saying that one right, which I'm going to infer means uh, I'm such a fool or I'm so forgetful, something along those lines. I turned to head home when out of nowhere, a wet blob smacked the back of my neck. It stung as I reached around, wondering if a pigeon had just used my head for its toilet seat. My fingers ran across something gooey. A closer look revealed a yellowish slime. An egg? My stomach felt woozy as I flicked away the goo. Laughter came from across the street. My throat burned at the sight of Sarah Decker, our middle school's nastiest bully. Two boys and a girl, each as tall and imposing as her, stood there too. All of them were in my sixth grade class, and they were laughing, laughing at me. Teta had always told me that demons were real, and Sarah was definitely one of them, or at least a distant cousin. Exhibit A, a carton in her hand with a single egg missing, the one that she just launched at me. Exhibit B, her signature devilish gap-tooth grin pasted on her face right now. Maybe that was why I hadn't felt guilty about yesterday when I stuffed her backpack with used paper towels from the bathroom trash. Since she'd come with three of the biggest, most frightening 12-year-olds at Portland Middle School, she'd probably taken my prank the wrong way. Well, since I'd meant to annoy her, I guess she took it the right way. In my defense, she started it. Two years ago. We were best friends before then, but her parents didn't like that I wasn't born in America. When she told me, I said her parents were a couple of moldy eggplants. Then she shoved me into a locker. But I, Shad Hadid, never do two things. Rely on anyone else or let a bully mess with me and get away with it. Thus, our rivalry was born. I love this part of the story because not only is the bully a girl, but that... Shad kind of stands up for himself in a way. He's not going to take it. You know, you read a lot of books, see a lot of movies. I know I say that a lot, but you do where there's the stereotypical boy bully, right? So, you know, equal opportunity bullying is uh, is good to see. But also that the kid who is bullied is usually frightened and scared and runs away and what have you. And Shad does not subscribe to doing that. We'll see what he actually does. But we do know that two years ago, he was friends with Sarah. And it's sort of sad that uh, he could no longer be friends, not because of anything that happened between Sarah and Shad, but because uh, Sarah's parents didn't like that he was foreign, uh, that he was not American. That's that's kind of a sad thing. Um, and, you know, Sarah sort of probably has to go along with that, right? Because, you know, when you're a kid, you sort of have to follow what your parents say. 
Um, I'm hoping that maybe there will be some redemption for Sarah later on in the book. Uh, in other words, that maybe, um, you know, she realizes that her parents were being uh, racist or, you know, discriminatory uh, or what have you. Uh, but at least at, at this point, that pretty much ended their relationship. And two years later, uh, she is continuing to bully him, in this case, throwing an egg at him. Does she know how expensive eggs are? Oh, I hope her parents don't find out. Eggs aren't cheap. You know, where's she getting this money from? Uh, have you also noticed that bullies always travel in groups? So it's like four of them against one shad. That's because, you know, they're very insecure about themselves, right? If they were by themselves, they would not be able to do what they have to do. So if you're bullied out there, just remember that uh, fact and, um, you know, be the bigger person like like Shad here is. And man, that was a good one. Stuffing used paper towels into a backpack. It's mean. But it's not like violent or anything or destructive. So well done, Shad. Well done. Sarah pulled another egg from the carton and turned to her friends. Did everyone see that throw? Perfect angle. Just the right velocity. And score! Sarah is a science and math whiz, which makes her different from the other bullies, especially since she's smart enough to turn basically anything into a lean, mean, wedgie machine. Her friends, on the other hand, aren't so smart. What's a velocity? Asked Anthony Clark, captain of the wrestling team. Meanwhile, Catherine Lee reached for an egg, only to have her hand slapped away by Sarah. Let me have a try, said Catherine. It's not like he can run. He's slower than a camel. They have those where you're from, right, Chad? Camel? The insult made my skin crawl. You figheads have it all geographically wrong, I shouted. There aren't any camels in Lebanon. I don't pay attention in school, and even I know that. Sarah and her friends laughed even harder. Fighead? she asked. Who says that? Someone who can actually read, I shot back. Unlike you. All of them quieted, and Sarah's face went red and she picked up another egg. Not good. You think you're so funny, huh? She shouted, rushing to the other side of the street, my side. Since you love food, how about I make an omelet out of your head? She brought her arm back to throw, but I dashed down the street. Behind me, I heard the thwack of an egg breaking against the bakery glass, and then the door swinging open. One of the baker's assistants stepped outside and shouted at Sarah and her friends. She called something, she called Sarah something in Arabic that, had it come out of my mouth, would have made Teta slap me into another dimension. Oh boy, so uh, now things are getting a little bit heated, and maybe Shad has gotten himself in a little bit over his head. I like how they have that witty banter back and forth about like the camels that don't live in Lebanon and uh, making an omelet out of his head. Very pithy, good wordplay there, especially the part where uh, it says if uh, Teta had discovered that language uh, came out of Shad's mouth, she would slap him into another dimension. And, and I haven't read the rest of this book as I, as I normally like to only read the first chapter when I'm reading it to you. But when I'm looking at the cover here uh, and looking at the Alchemists of Alexandria and kind of knowing a little bit about the book, I almost wonder, is that foreshadowing that he is gonna maybe not get slapped into another dimension, but also that he's going to end up in some other kind of world that's connected to ours, but maybe not directly in ours. My Sultan of Slam wrestling backpack thudded against my butt as I raced down the block. Sarah had already crossed the street with her friends, only 20 feet away and gaining on me with each stride. I hadn't thought past calling her a fighead, but what was I supposed to do? They were picking on me. 
Saying nothing was worse than saying the wrong thing, right? Egg after egg started raining down. Some soared by while others painted the wall in yellow. One egg hit the sidewalk right next to me and bits of yolk splattered onto my sneakers. You can't outrun us, said Sarah. She was right. While I could barely even run, Sarah could both run and throw. But I was a darn good at hide and seek. While eggs smashed all over the pavement, I rounded the building that connected several stores to the bakery. An alley I could hide in was up ahead. Now, I hadn't outgrown what Teta called my baby fat, and the alley was pretty narrow. Still, I sucked my stomach in and squeezed inside. My fear of Sarah totally outweighed my fear of tight spaces. Although my hands were trembling, legs getting noodly, I snaked out through the long alley and, holy cannoli, I whispered. Directly ahead, where the back of the bakery should be, was a large, colorful garden. Well, more like a mini jungle. I approached a few fruit trees, oranges, bananas, and even figs. Purple and brown and other weird colored flowers sprang up in the corners while moss climbed up the building's walls. I used the short lead I had on Sarah to catch my breath. Between the scent of sweat and the rotting eggs on my neck, the aroma of the flowers was hard to notice. I was still wobbly on my feet, and when I reached back to flick off the yoke, the alley darkened. I glanced up at a large black figure hovering over me as if descending from the sky. A shadow. I'd once convinced myself that the scarf hanging from my closet door was a ghost. I'd refused to leave my bed until Baba put it around his neck and started dancing the dabka. I wiped my eyes, sure this was some kind of similar mistake. Nope, the shadow was real, and it had no face or shape. I jerked away from what looked like a large batch of chocolate pudding that had learned to walk. It drew closer. I kicked it, but my foot passed right through. You are trespassing where you do not belong, it said with a raspy voice that sounded hollow and lifeless. I tried to scream, but could only muster a faint croak. Who's trespassing? I asked, looking around, my hands shaking, knees wobbling. Not me. I was just, just leaving. I didn't believe in magic or monsters or any of the things from the stories Teta told me growing up. But there was no denying this thing, whatever it was, was real, and terror gripped me. Breathing became harder. Each step back felt like lifting a shoe full of bricks. All I could do was keep moving away until I thudded against the wall and crumpled to the ground. The shadow hovered closer and closer. Sitting there, shaking, I held my legs and watched it grow as tall as a basketball hoop and wider than a billboard. It blocked out all daylight. I was done, finished, pooped. It raised a shadowy tentacle, and I shoved my head between my knees, unable to look. But as the shadow brushed my cheek, a shrill cry pierced my ears. Be gone, necromancer, shouted a new voice. Boom! An explosion shook the ground beneath my feet. I looked up, and the shadow vanished. Sunlight poured back into the alley, onto my face, and lit up the lush, colorful garden. Just a second ago, that thing had cornered me. Now there was a man who wore a faded navy coat that ran down to his ankles, two big glasses, and had wild hair that shot out in every direction. His skin was tanned like mine, giving him the look of an Arab Albert Einstein. He also wore an unusual belt beneath his coat, pouches hanging from all around it, and one veiny hand held a leash for his pet salamander. He furrowed an eyebrow and asked, who in the elements are you? And what are you doing in my alley?
And that concludes chapter one of Shad Hadid in the Alchemists of Alexandria by George Gerage. At this point in the show, I typically do a three, two, one. Three things I liked about the book or three thoughts I had. Two questions I have after reading chapter one. And either something I'm going to try in my own writing or something that I have learned either about uh, writing or about the characters or about books or so on. However, as I alluded to at the beginning of this show, we have now with us the author of Shad Hadid and the Alchemists of Alexandria, George Gerage, where I will share with him and with you those things that I liked, those questions that I have, and some of the things I've learned along the way. So stay tuned, because our interview with George Gerage is coming up next, here on From the Top. Do you love reading? Do you love podcasts? Starting on December 16th, 2022, listen to Jake Spear Theatre Company's PKD Cast, a new podcast series based on the best short stories by science fiction mastermind Philip K. Dick. Every month, we will present to you a brand new radio play version of PKD's best short stories, beginning on December 16th, 2022, with The Hanging Stranger. You can listen to the PKD cast wherever podcasts are available. And we're back. You're listening to From the Top, a book cast for young readers and readers of all ages. My name is Jake Lewis. You just heard the first chapter of Shah Hadid and the Alchemists of Alexandria by George Gerage. And, you know, it occurred to me, this is the beginning of the holiday season when this show airs. I believe it's the first week in December when you're hearing this, if you're listening to it when it first comes out. What better time than to start getting a gift for the young reader in your life? And I think Shad Hadid would be a perfect gift for uh, the middle school, high school reader that uh, you're shopping for. So you can thank me for that later. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome. You have just listened to the first chapter of Shad Hadid and the Alchemists of Alexandria by George Gerage. Did I get that right, George? Indeed you did. All right. Well, he is here with us right now to uh, chat a little bit about his book, about himself, and anything else that we happen to stumble upon. So, George, thank you so much for uh, joining me and our, our readers or our listeners listeners and readers uh, as part of this podcast. Gotta say, um, I'm really glad I found your book. Uh, so I, I, I really enjoyed it. Just like the listener here, I've only read the first chapter of it at this point um, because I wanted to have it be just as much of a surprise and something new as our listeners. I do, I do intend to uh, finish it, so don't worry about that. But um, let's just start by you maybe telling us a little bit about yourself. I know in your uh, author blurb, it says you're uh, Lebanese-American, like uh, Shad in the in this story. Um, so tell us maybe a little bit about that. Yeah, indeed I am, Jake. And thank you for having me on this wonderful podcast. I am a Lebanese-American. I grew up um, living in Lebanon for a few years, um, went back and forth frequently between there and here. My first language was actually Arabic, so this story, Shad Hadid and the Alchemists of Alexandria, centers on 12-year-old Shad. And essentially what I will say, just so as not to give any spoilers, okay. Shad himself is a reflection of myself at 12 years old. And so you're getting a very um, biographical take on a fictional hero here, a little bit of a non-traditional hero. Mm-hmm. And one who um, has quite a sense of humor. So I hope you all enjoy it. Yes. listening to the story from his point of view. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned that it's somewhat based upon yourself. I'm sure there are, you know, some poetic licenses you take and so on for the nature of the book. But uh, basing it on your experience, 
or or just you're looking back at yourself maybe at at that age is that a difficult thing to do because i would imagine that you might want to you know pretty it up a little bit maybe or uh you know just just focus on maybe some certain aspects and and not others what what was that like you know i think that looking back at my life was fantastic source material because one thing that every compelling character needs is a growth journey, something that they're missing at the beginning of the story and they get at the end. And so when I look back at myself when I was 12 years old, there were quite a few things that I needed to learn and grow and develop on. So um, just choosing one of those for Shad Hadid was no problem. It was actually quite an enjoyable and cathartic experience. That's true. Yeah, you might uh, grow from it as well. You mentioned that he's an, uh, a bit of a non-traditional character. I think that is because you don't often see uh, Lebanese-American characters in, in mainstream fiction, of course, young adult fiction, although I think you know that's getting a little bit more representation uh, these days. One of the parts that I, I really like enjoyed, it was just like a, a, a few quick words that you, you uh, put in here. This is uh, towards the beginning of the chapter where he's looking in the bakery window um, and he sees the, uh, the, the baker inside and it says uh, that he's clad in a white jacket with his belly falling over an apron, which I think is a great description. Um, and he says, I was jealous of that belly. Sure, I had some pudge, but nothing like this. One day I'd eat enough sweets to earn a sumo stomach too. And, and the thing that I really liked about that is, um, and maybe this was your intention, um, in so many books and, and even in movies and TV shows aimed at young people, there is almost like fat shaming or uh, that they have to have you know, movie star looks, you know, uh, you know, 99% of the time, especially in that awkward phase of, you know, sixth grade, no one looks like that. And I, and I like that Shad uh, kind of accepts that and, and even wants to increase upon that. So, so what do you, what do you, you know, what was your thinking behind that? Yeah. So a couple of things, I, I would say you're spot on in terms of the central message here, which is that, at that age, you know, we need to portray characters um, the way that kids are. And I myself was someone who had a little bit of pudge at that age. And I was not concerned about it. It was not top of mind. I did not care. I did very much care about being able to consume as many sweets as possible, especially Arabic sweets in the case of Shad. Yeah. However, I do feel like we should realistically represent how kids are and also encourage kids to say, hey, it doesn't really matter Um, what you look like as long as you can achieve what it is that you hope to achieve what your goals are right and I think that Shad very much embodies that type of a character yeah I I like that he's not a complete pushover either you know you you see stories uh you know where kids are maybe bullied um I thought it was funny just because I'm a short guy myself and he comments about how uh, the girl who's kind of the the head bully is taller than him. And so so I got a kick out of that because I know exactly what that's like. But, um, you know, he he kind of advocates a little bit for himself. Uh, like when he stuffs the girl's backpack with paper towels and whatever, it's harmless. You know, it's not like mean retaliation uh, or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I think he's a very rounded, no pun intended, a very rounded uh character what goes into i know you said you had kind of based him on yourself but like as far as the other characters how do you go about shaping a character so as i mentioned earlier every character has to have their own emotional journey or their own sort of development so each major character that i do it doesn't be every single character in the book but each major character has to learn something has to grasp something um you know Sarah has her own journey as well. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that throughout the story. So each person needs to have something that they stand to learn from the very beginning. And we have to deliver on it in a clever, creative and fun way by the end. And that must get overwhelming at times, I would imagine. I I can't even think of writing uh, a novel. Uh, I've written some short stories, but a 373 page novel that just I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. So what's your process like when 
you uh, set out to write this, or I'm assuming this is going to be a part of a series, but, uh, you know, any anything you write. Yeah, fantastic question. You know, it, it is a daunting task if you think about it too much, but if you really just take it a page at a time, it's very manageable, you find, just like everything else. So um, that's my approach is just to do it one page at a time and then expect that there will be a lot of revision. And revision is really when you make it special, when you make it magical, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah. So you, so you like the revision process because I know as a teacher, and I'm, I'm sure maybe you've experienced it too, you're like, I just want to bang it out, get it done, boom, it's gone. Yeah. Uh, but that's sort of really where, like you said, where the magic happens, where the work is. Yeah, you know, it takes a lot of discipline. And I say that because I don't enjoy revisions. I don't know many people who do enjoy revisions. There are probably someone out there who does. Um, however, I don't do it. And yeah, I have the appreciation, the discipline to say, hey, I'm going to sit down on this in my in my desk and put in the work in order to make this really special for the reader. And so understanding the finished product and what it takes to make it allows me to put in the effort, even on the days that I don't want to show up because the reader to me means everything. And I want to be able to deliver to them an experience that they won't soon forget. Right. You, you've gotten a lot of great praise uh, just looking at, you know, the back cover of the book and, and the little author blurbs um, inside as you have, you know, traveled around, which I know you have a little bit, you know, doing readings and, and meet and greets and, and all that, what has been the general response that you've gotten from young readers uh, to this book? More than anything, the first thing I hear is that they are very hungry. And that is exactly <laughs> what I wrote the book intending to elicit uh -huh. um, that hunger. Um, I would say it's a sense of um, motivation just because Shad is a character who is a go-getter. He takes a lot of agency. And I think that um, a lot of readers leave the book feeling very inspired that they can um, tackle, you know, odds that seem just impossible at times. Mm -hmm. I know I myself read the story and I'm just in awe of Shad. Himself. You know, despite being the author, I, I get inspired just thinking about it. So I, I would say that's, um, overwhelming the response from my young readers and actually my old readers as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you've written other, uh, it says you've written short stories uh, and, and and other things when it comes to uh, Shad. Um, do you already got the next one kind of in the works? Or are you going to take a little break and maybe do something else and then come back to it? What's, what's the next thing for you? No, Shad 2 is definitely in the works. Okay. Um, it's going to be just as chaotic as this first book so you're in for quite a ride if you read this book and you really enjoy it trust me you won't know what to expect next because we definitely love throwing you in for twists and turns yep. and you know there are other projects in the work beyond just the shad Hadid series but this one there's just so much to explore in the world of alchemy yeah yeah getting back to more about you uh as a writer and and as a person and just putting shad maybe to the side for a little bit um where or who might have been an early influence for uh, on you to you know to bring alive the power of writing uh was there a book or an author that you really latched on to or or even a teacher or all of the above to kind of awaken that um that ability in you that's a great question you know i i started writing pretty late in life you hear about a lot of authors having been lifelong writers mm. and um starting when they were very, very young. Now, this is not to say I started when I was old because I certainly was not, but I started right at the end of college. Okay. And I had not been a huge reader growing up, but I discovered literature and became enamored by it um, late in high school and then throughout college. And so by the very end, I started to ask myself the question of why not? Why couldn't I do this? Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say it wasn't a specific book that inspired me, but just the general act of reading and being continuously inspired by by novels and then wanting to give that same feeling to other readers um, with something of my own, just because I wasn't seeing Arab characters really represented in literature the way I wanted to. Right. 
Uh, that that's that's terrific that you've done it. It's it's a, a great contribution from to, to literature from what I've read uh, already on the on this program. And like I said, I'm going to uh, I'm sure I'm going to tear right through it because you know I, I enjoyed the the first chapter. Although I do want to slow down and and really like take it all in. The book did make me hungry as well. And I will say, I don't know what these treats are. Maybe I'm showing my you know. Uh, what's that like evil American or like, you know, the dumb American no, okay. guy, but uh, I'm going to try to find these on Amazon or something and, and order some of these up because they, they do sound uh, delicious. And I also will oh. say, I, I think that you have created one of my new favorite expressions that I'm now going to use. I'm going to go around and, and say, especially when I'm teaching, Oh, figs, you know, because uh, that, that's a great replacement for, you know, other things that I may might want to say. Yeah, fig is a multi-purpose word. You know, it could be an insult. You yeah. fig. It can yeah. be, uh, you know, uh, and it could be a compliment. You know, this is as delicious as a fig, right? That's right. So, or fig Newton. No, that's something completely that's different. Yeah. Something completely different. But yeah. it, it just shows you how how uh, how great that word is, mm -hmm. and you know the creativity with which Shad, who happens to like food, is able to utilize it. And you mentioned not being familiar with baklava and a lot of these desserts. Well, that's the whole point, right? I do want to introduce readers who um, are not necessarily familiar with my culture and our foods and customs to that, while also making those readers who are familiar with it feel seen in a way that they might not have in other novels. Absolutely. And 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 lastly, uh, right around the part where he says, uh, you know, figs I need to cook dinner, he says, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, oh, I'm such a, is it Bala, B-A-H-L-E? So it's actually Bahle. Oh, Bahle. Because I was going to say, if it's like a Bala, like the kids are saying nowadays, you know, that would uh, but I like that quite. too. Yeah. Not quite. Bahle is an Arabic word that means um, dummy. Okay. All right. I'm, a, I'm a big dummy, which yeah. is what Chad is calling himself, and it's yeah. what I'll, it's what I often tell myself as well. I think we're all our, our own hardest critic, but uh, but George, this is great. Uh, maybe I could even picture this as a movie. It's very cinematic uh, at uh, at some points. Has Netflix called you yet? Uh, not quite yet, but I yeah, keep okay. uh, you know I, I keep checking the phone here and there just okay. in case. All right, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. George, thanks again so much for chatting with me. I could chat with you all day about this, but the book is called, uh, as I've said before, Shad Hadid and the Alchemists of Alexandria. Thanks for, again, George. Thank you, Jake. I appreciate it. And that'll do it for this week's edition of From the Top. My name is Jake Lewis. The book was called Shad Hadid and the Alchemists of Alexandria by George Gerage. And you can pick that up wherever books are available. I recommend you do. It's a great one. Even from that first chapter. I loved it. It's only going to get better too, I imagine. We'll be back next Monday with another rousing installment of From the Top. Hope you will join us then. Feel free to send me an email at fromthetopbookcast at gmail.com with any comments, questions, or requests. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast as well so you know when the latest episode drops or any bonus episodes become available. If you have a moment to write us a quick five-star review on whichever podcast listening platform you use, I'd greatly appreciate it. Until next time, I will see you from the top.